This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome Dennis Webster to the program. How you doing, Dennis? Great, Bob. How are you today? I'm okay. Dennis Webster is an historian and author from the Utica, New York area. He's previously joined us to discuss some of his uh, books. He's written quite a few. He's going to be writing more. Uh, let me ask you first about something you were uh, telling me you're, you're just starting. You, you're known for uh, doing uh, books about, well, for example, Haunted Mohawk Valley. Um, you've got another one coming out, do you, about the Adirondacks? Yeah, currently I'm working on it. should be released next year, Haunted Adirondacks. Wow, that sounds like a, a winner. Is that going to be another uh, uh, history press, or it's not history press anymore? It's... Uh, I can't think of the name of the publisher. Uh, Arcadia. 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 Yeah. No, actually, this is going to be from North Country Books, who has released the Adirondack Mysteries uh, series that I've worked on. Well, that's good. Yes, and uh, you know, you've done, as they say, uh, kind of some work with uh, North Country Books. Um, so, Haunted Adirondacks. Can you give us any um, a preview of of some of the tales that you're looking at? Oh, there's some pretty good ones in there. Uh, for instance. Uh, the haunted Van Auken Inn in Old Forge, New York, uh, where they have the ghost of Charlie. It's very interesting because it was originally a lumberjack camp uh, place that housed them, and they got a very interesting old photo of a man, pure white, standing on the porch. Mm. And that's who everyone feels is Charlie. They call him the man in white. Did you start out writing about uh, hauntings and ghosts and things like that, or did you just kind of get yeah. into it? Well, what happened, Bob, was, you know, you go to these historical societies, like like when you do programs or myself, uh, a local ghost group was doing a, a haunted Utica presentation, and I went to it, and I sat there, and I was stunned. I was enthralled by it, and I said afterwards, hey, I have an idea for a book. Can I tag along with you guys and write a book on haunted locations? And they let me come along, and then the next thing you know, that book was published, and then the second one and the third one, they, they seemed to sell a lot of copies. People like the uh, paranormal. And that's they do. And especially, I mean, uh, we're recording this in the Halloween season. It's a it's a perennial. Uh, I mean, it comes up every year. It gives you a hook uh, to promote your uh, haunted books every Halloween. Oh, yeah. I really enjoy doing that. And we do. I do a lot of fundraisers myself and uh, the, and the ghost group I belong with. We do a lot of ghost walks where people will want to sell the books and we'll donate the profits to charity. And people love that. You get something like the old stone fort in Schaharie, and you can line people up to do a haunted walkthrough of it, or you pick any old fort or any old, like, the, um, you know, the um, mansion of uh, Herkimer Mansion there, the Herkimer home in Little Falls. Places like that, people think they're cool and old, and they want to walk through them, and maybe they'll see a ghost in there. Mm. And you were telling me you're working on a TV show? Uh, yeah, actually, it's interesting. A, a, a gentleman who run, who films a restaurant show approached me about combining our efforts to do what's called a paranormal cooking show where we go into haunted no, wait a minute, restaurants. Wait a minute, every- Dennis, a paranormal cooking show? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, it, it's got a cooking segment, and we tie the food of the, re- the haunted restaurant into the ghosts that haunt it. Really? Do that. Oh, I'm telling you, it's, see, it's, it's meant to be fun, and the name of the television show is Ghost and toast, where, you know, toast has that double meaning because we toast to the spirits, but then also the food part of it. So it's meant to be fun and educational and interactive, and we just got done filming the first season of it. We're having our big screen premiere on the 20th of October at the Rome Capitol Theater. They're going to play two episodes of our show on the big screen, 
and then after that, we'll be putting them out there for people to see. And, and, and how? I mean, you on a cable channel, or you're doing this some other more modern Actually, way? We're doing more modern way. All social media, we're going to be creating a YouTube channel. It's interesting because you can produce a television show and put it out there at a very low cost, and everyone can see it for free on social media and on the Internet. And, for instance, if you go to Ghost and then the and symbol Toast on Facebook, you'll find us very easily. If someone liked it on there, then you could get all the information. But you don't even have to pay to see this stuff. You can see it all for free. So do you have a page or whatever on YouTube now, or is that not? No, we're actually going to create it after we premiere all the episodes on the big screen. We did six episodes for season one because they, they take a long time. Uh, you know, all us ghost people, we all have day jobs. So we go on the evenings or weekends and shoot one episode a month. And I'll, I'll give you one example. One of the shows is at the Braylock Inn in Casanova, very haunted Scottish tavern, bed and breakfast. And they have a ghost there called Scotty who has been seen in a kilt. So the ghost and toast was we went in there and we had them prepare traditional haggis, the Scottish dish, of which I ate it. You, you know what haggis is, right? I, you know, I went to Scotland once and I seemed, it was a long time ago and I'm an old and forgetful man and I think I had the haggis. I had the scotch that went with it, but I'm not sure about the haggis. Oh, I mean, a lot of people, you can't be turned off by the ingredients. It's like intestines and tripe oh, and all yeah, that. And yeah, they, yeah. Put it in the, they cook it in the sheep's stomach. But I liked it, but... We tied that food segment into the Scottish ghost haunting that particular establishment. So what do you do? I mean, is it a cookie? Are you the chef, too? Do you make a... No, no. Actually, Bill Vinci, my creative partner, him and I co-host and co-produce the show. I do the ghost part. He does the cooking segment because his particular... He has a show called Empire Plate, which has filmed over 200 episodes of restaurants in New York State. And so he'll do like the cooking segment with the chef and then we bring the food out and we get the ghost seekers around. And then, you know, just like how in other cultures, food plays a big part of, of um, the afterlife. Like in Asia, a lot, of com a lot of countries, they put what's called offerings out for the ancestors. They put food out there. Or even here when you do Halloween, what do we hand out at Halloween? Candy. Mm -hmm. You know, Day of the Dead celebrations and New Orleans and all that kind of stuff. You, when you start to look at the food and the paranormal, they do go together like chocolate and peanut butter. Right. <laughs> well, uh, Dennis, you make me feel like we, we've, we're breaking new ground here on the Historian's Podcast. I mean, it's, so this is a, an interview so different from what we're usually doing. I, I feel like Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel, you know, talking to some <laughs> celebrity. Here. Like... Oh, you know, I love being on your podcast and, you know, I love you. You know, I've got your <laughs> books. We've done book signings together, Bob. We no. go back quite a well, ways, you know. Let me put this out here. I mean, Okay, you you write about hauntings and the hauntings and the food and so on and so forth. I don't know that they exist, but there might be some sort of, um, I don't know what, more traditional historians out there tuning into the Historians Podcast saying, oh, come on, what are, we, what are we talking about here? There's a certain aspect, well, let me put it maybe the most positive way I can think. You've used the word fun. I mean, it, it sounds like you're approaching the paranormal uh, from a fun kind of angle, as opposed to whether you really believe in this stuff or not, go ahead. Well, well, absolutely. I think I think um, people may have a misconnotation of what uh, ghost hunting may be. Uh, you know, on TV and you know in Hollywood, they dramatize it. And our particular group that I operate with, we're very spiritual. We're religious. We hold hands and we pray, and we ask the spirits to come out gently and interact with us and and 
you know, talk with us and communicate. None, none of this Hollywood nonsense of conjuring and all that kind of stuff. We just don't do that. That's just really hooey. But it's more like speaking to the spirits that may want to come and talk to us in a gentle fashion. Mm-hmm. And if they do, they do. But we, we really take a very low-key spiritual aspect towards it. Yeah. But you're serious about it. I mean, it sounds like you truly believe. I do. I, I, it's funny, Bob. When I first got into it, I was very skeptical. I said, I don't know about this, but it interests me. And I think that's a lot of people will say, I don't really believe in this stuff, but I'm fascinated by it. And I'm intrigued by the unknown. And as I started going along on these ghost investigations and things started happening, and I'm like, I think this really exists. You know, um, it's very fascinating. And and the number one story I hear from people when it comes to the paranormal is someone will say, you know, I never believed in this kind of stuff until I had a beloved loved one of mine who had passed away. And they came, like they stopped and visited them one more time before they moved on, you know, to heaven or the next plane of existence at all. So it's it's very fascinating to me, you know, no more so as when I was a kid and I loved Bigfoot and UFOs and all that <laughs> cryptozoology so. and what is the Loch Ness Monster and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I'm approaching it or part of me, you know, is jealous or really. think, gee, you know, I write these books and, you know, we'll get five people showing up at a library somewhere, but you, it, it's... Good for business, this this ghost stuff. Yeah, I, I guess it, it just, and then like you said, especially at Halloween time, you know, there's it seems like everybody has all sorts of ghost walks and ghost talks and, you know, haunted hayrides and you name it. It's just, it's so fascinating and people just love it. I don't know, maybe it's the part of our id that likes to be scared or the unknown or, you know, when you're in bed at night and you get that feeling that you're being watched or, that, you know, somebody there. That kind of thing, you know. All right. Well, uh, we'll get to an, uh, the original topic we were going to discuss, and we will discuss with Dennis is a, a, a somewhat different book. Uh, but uh, Ghost and Toast is going to be the television show. It'll be on YouTube, right? Ghost and Toast. Right. And you are working on for a North Country Press Haunted Adirondacks, and that will be yes. uh, uh, coming out what, next, next year. year sometime. Yeah, sometime next year. I'm in the midst of that right now. All right. Well, when we come back, we'll talk about uh, a a book that uh, Dennis has edited, uh, not specifically about ghosts, uh, but it's about crime, uh, I believe, in uh, the Adirondack Mountains or mysteries in the Adirondack Mountains. And uh, we'll do that in just a moment after I uh, put in a plug for the Historian's Podcast. We depend on your contributions to keep the podcast rolling along with our weekly productions and other material which we put on the homepage, bobcudmore.com. If you'd like to donate, go to gofundme.com forward slash historians2018. Gofundme.com forward slash historians2018. If you don't want to donate online, you can send me a check made out to Bob Cudmore. Send to Bob Cudmore at 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. Dennis Webster joins us, an historian and author from the Utica, New York area. He's with us in part now to talk about his contribution to the best-selling anthology, Adirondack Mysteries 1, 2, and 3. 
just out is the third volume in the best-selling Adirondack Mysteries series. And uh, Dennis uh, Webster, you're the editor of, of that volume. Did the ed- did you edit the other two? Uh, yes, I did. Okay, so you edited all three. What is that? What does that involve? Editing the the um... well, really, it's it's um, picking the authors and reviewing their stories. You know, giving them the standards of word count what the topic entails and, you know, obviously within the blue line of the Adirondacks. Uh, and then uh, just go through and try and do the best I can with a line edit. I do more copy editing, but um, the publisher also has a line editor that will check grammar for me also. And then just put them in order, and then that's it. It's actually a lot of fun, um, a lot of talented writers out there. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and it pretty much I leave it, you know, it can be a contemporary story or it can be, you know, uh, an older story, uh, but I just, it has to be a mystery that takes place within the Adirondack but, but these are fictional mysteries. Correct. Or, Correct. Okay. Uh, I know, like myself, I based even the current story I wrote for Volume 3 on an actual historical event. And I know that some of them have, like, some history behind, you know, uh, what they use. They use real locations for the most part. And, you know, uh, I know mine, I, my story in Volume 3 was the first time I actually wrote something of this type. Uh, but uh, I based it on the true story of the of a stagecoach robbery near Blue Mountain Lake. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, when I read that, uh, I actually came across that and wrote it in my original book, uh, Wicked Adirondacks. Because it fascinated me. When you think stagecoach robberies, you think the West. You know, like the shows Gunsmoke and things right, like right, that. Right. Not, not in the Adirondack Mountains. Hmm. You know? And uh, so I took what little details I had about that robbery, because the robbers never were caught. And I wrote a fictional story based on that. But, but I did put some true stuff in it in my story, which is hilarious. Like, for instance, uh, the title of mine is The Devil, Devil Will Take Your Life. Well, that's what one of the rob- the lead robbers said as he was robbing the stagecoach, he said, your money and your possessions or the devil will take your life. Uh, but the funny thing is, is when this, the stagecoach was filled with rich passengers because they would pick people up in the Saratoga area and shuttle them all the way up to Blue Mountain Lake to a resort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they would have packages and they would have money and then they would have, you know, and stuff like that. So they had like six or eight passengers, four men, four women. And the funny thing is, is when they robbed the stagecoach, the four men got out of the stagecoach and fled into the woods oh, and left their wives behind. Now, and now you're talking about the real stagecoach robbery or the one that yeah, you... Yeah, the real, sto- okay. real stagecoach robbery. That was like, oh my God, they left, you know, these men ran, fled for it and left their the, the wives behind, which isn't very chivalristic. Is that the right word? Chivalry? No, no. Um, <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. They left the wives behind. No, it was hilarious to the wives. What happened to the wives in that... Well, they robbed all the money and the cash box and everything else, and they fled into the woods never to be caught. They they got a posse together and went after them and never found who did it. So uh, I wrote this fictional story around uh, what I thought would be a good story on how it happened and who did it. I see. And um, this is from Adirondack Mysteries, Volume 3, edited by Dennis Webster. You folks, you and some of the other authors, I believe, just did a program, a fine location in Utica, the Oneida County uh, History Center. How did, how did that go? It was phenomenal. I mean, you it was a nice turnout. They always get good turnout, free event. And it was interesting. We did it a little bit different. Each, each author, you know, read a passage from their story, but also we talked about the history behind the story we wrote and what was our inspiration and then... 
um, we got a lot of questions from the audience about how do you become a writer and the writing process. And, you know, Bob, people probably ask you all the time when you do your book events, you know, how do you become a published author? And, geez, how do you, you know, how do you do it? You know, what's your process? Right, right. So it's also, a lot of fun because we got different answers from everybody. Yes, that's true. Everybody has a different experience. You had a, a poignant story about one of your contributors named uh, John Bryant. Yeah, John was a good man. He, um, he, he. It's sad because he passed away the day after he emailed me his story that's in Volume Three. And um, John was a very accomplished writer. He had a very famous series called Adirondack Detective. And he, he, his first part of his life, he was a state trooper, and then he retired for, as being a state trooper, then went into writing detective books. And he was very successful at it, and then he was just like the elder statesman of all us authors. And whenever we do a group event, he was like the leader, the father of everybody, the, the just stately gentleman, just such an outstanding man. And I wanted to dedicate the volume to his memory. Sure. Which we did. And he emailed you the story just before he passed away. I mean, that's really yeah. remarkable. Before he, was, he passed away. Yeah. Working right up until the end. Yeah, he, he, he was he was such a great man. You know, I just admired him so much, you know. Um, he's so funny because we did so many author events, and I knew him so long. He actually knew me when I had hair, Bob, because I, I started shaving my head, right? If you see me now, you haven't seen me in a few years. I shaved my head bald because, you know, I gave up the fight. You, you and, shaved? And uh, he just go, Denny. Yeah, I shaved my head, and he looks at me and says, Denny. Yeah. We what do you, have to what get, are you doing with your hair? What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, we have to get our own YouTube channel so you can see the guests here on Historian's <laughs> Podcast. Um but uh, yep. so the stories in the book, I have a few notes on some of the other stories. These are fictional stories, many of them based on historical events uh, called Adirondack Mysteries. Um, who, who was uh, private investigator Roxanne Kane? Does that ring a bell or my? Yeah, that was that's in uh, uh, um, Cheryl Costa's story. Cheryl is an amazing writer. I mean, she does more historical research into a character than probably anybody I've ever met in my life. She's just incredible. And actually, the Cheryl, aside from this book, wrote, true story here, it, she'd be a great future guest for you. She wrote a reference book on UFOs in New York State. Really? And nationally. Yeah, it's like a statistics book on UFO sightings. And she actually was interviewed on some national television stations, and now... She's got a television show under development based on her UFO knowledge, which blows my mind because she's such a phenomenal fiction writer. And then to turn around and do, I mean, a reference desk on UFOs. That's something. Pretty, pretty remarkable to me. Okay. But the, her story is great with Roxanne Kane. Roxanne Kane. Uh, well, anyhow, who is the mysterious prisoner of Weediskill, if that's how you say it? Maybe that... Oh, that's uh, Jenny Jenny Milkman's story. Um, Je Jenny is pretty amazing because she uses. Uh, I, I have a hard time pronouncing it. Weedy skill. Weedy skill. Is that how we say it? Weedy skill. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm looking at it. It's spelled W E D E S K Y U L L. Weedy skill. Yeah, Jen Jenny is is pretty prolific. I mean, I I just I'm in awe of her because um, she actually has she's had several major novels published and she all places them all in that fictional town she reminds me of stephen king how he always uses castle rock as his fictional town you know okay. weedy skull is a fictional town in 
the Adirondacks, but Jenny is just amazing to me. She just got back. She made it to Utica. She was on a national book signing tour. I, she's the only author I've ever met that, that is such a good seller that their publisher sent them out on a national book tour. What is the book that she's got out now? I'm going to put you on the spot if you don't know. Oh, I want to say Wicked River. Okay. Wait, I got the. Wait, I don't want to get this wrong. Right. I got it right here. I got it right here. I'll pull it right out of my briefcase. Jenny Milkman. Right now. Yep. yep. Wicked River. See, I got it correct. Wicked River, because I got the book right here. All right. I'm going to start it soon, but. She's she's amazing, and actually, there there is a movie being made right now based on her one of her books. Boy, people are making moves, not faking moves, up there in Utica. Would yeah. you say most of the people are from the Utica area, or not? So I would, I would. There's a there's one young woman who's new to the series that's in volume three, but not the other two, and it's um, Jordan Merrick, and she writes us a, a, a story called Samson Home for Girls, which is probably my favorite. Of, of the stories, although they're all fantastic, it's hard to pick, but I just particularly like, it's about like a haunted, abandoned, like, little home for girls in the middle of the Adirondacks that's just been left for dead, you know, and she is such a skilled writer. Another one, she, she's one that, she writes a lot of like young adult fantasy fiction, and she's mm-hmm. quite prolific and quite popular. As a matter of fact, one of the people showed up and their young daughter had all of Jordan's books, because... This is the you know the mystery is a little bit different than what she normally writes. Mm-hmm. And you have, uh, in addition to editing and writing for this anthology of Adirondack mysteries, you've done other mystery books. I, oh, Wicked Mohawk Valley, I think was the one that I knew. Um, well, I don't know if they're mystery books. These those were more true crime tales, weren't yeah, they? Yeah. Well, I remember the one that you really enjoyed. What we chatted about before, Bob, was my one on the old Maine uh, asylum. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to bring that up at some point. Yes, you, um, that was a valuable uh, contribution, I think, to serious history. The story of the New York State Lunatic Asylum in Utica. Yeah, because before that, there was no one book on the history of that place, and it was the first one built in New York State was the first one in the United States to have what was called moral treatment for the mentally ill. And uh, it took me two years, you can appreciate this, Bob, two years of research, and I had to go all over from Albany to Syracuse to Utica. There was little pieces and bits of history that had to be kind of found, put together, compiled, and written about. And that's what I did. It was a pleasure doing it. That That's probably my personally my favorite book of all the ones I've done, only because it was important to be done. It needed to be told. People would ask all sorts of questions about that that building, which still stands today, built in 1843, and people didn't really know all, all the complete answers yeah. to it. Well, if people want to look it up, we have a previous uh, Historians podcast where we interview Dennis about uh, Old Maine. And one thing that pops into my mind, I hope if this is accurate, I wasn't. it's not what it was, but there is still a psychiatric facility in Utica, is there not? Yes, there is. Right on that campus, there's still uh, the Mohawk Valley Psychiatric Center is still right on that campus. Um, and the old main building itself still is being partially used. They, New York State has a records room and the first floor. And it's just, it's an amazingly beautiful, gorgeous building. It's just incredible. And that building was significant in the in the history of mental illness treatment in our country because in 1843, previous to that building, it was all about people had, you know, you were cursed by the devil, and, you know, it was the moons, and it was the Luna, and it was, you know, well, this was where people started looking at scientific reasons and mm-hmm. treatments for people that could be treated and cured and released, or, you know, and things like given occupations and 
things like that. It was a new revolutionary way of mental health treatment. It started right in Utica, New York, and then once again, you know, New York State led the way. We always do, you <laughs> well, know, because then everybody in the United do. States started replicating that. <laughs> it was called the mother of all institutions. Well, and all, as long as we're talking about uh, other books and projects of Dennis Webster's, we also interviewed you about the 1914 murder of a teacher from Herkimer, New York. Yeah, that was a murder of a Herkimer County teacher. That was another one that I was very pleased to write. Herkimer, the Herkimer County Historical Society actually asked me to write that book because there had never been a complete history written on that case. And uh, that was another one I really enjoyed writing because I had to, I sat through and read 4,000-page document, which was the court transcripts. And I got a lot of good information out of that that I put in the book. You know, a lot. Of, you, it's very interesting, Bob. When you know doing research, you read like the the um, the hype in the newspapers of the time of 1914, and then the reality of what actually happened in that courtroom. A lot of it quite different. Sure. You know. Yeah. Now the the teacher was named Lida Beecher. And, yes. And her his the student who apparently did kill her was a uh, Jean Giannini. Was that? Yeah. Or did they pronounce yeah, it Gene? And he, yeah, he, and it, and it was very sad because Gene, and in this day and age, when I talk with modern therapists and psychiatrists, Gene would have what you would call autism spectrum disorder, almost like an Asperger's type system. But he was high functioning, but he was falling behind his peers. He was 15 years old in the sixth grade, so he was at least three years older than his peers, and he started to struggle. So it was it was some of those symptoms of him that that the jury uh, found him not guilty. Otherwise, they would have put this sixteen year old boy in the electric chair in Auburn and fried him to death. Instead, mm -hmm. he was institutionalized for the rest of his life under psychiatric care. And he was found not guilty by reason of insanity, and, and they had uh, psychiatric testimony. They didn't call him psychiatrists, right? They called them alienists. Alienists. Alienists, yeah. They had Dr. Goddard from New York City. He was the world-renowned expert who came in and testified for the defense because Dr. Goddard had, in his career, seen in, in over 20,000 people that were, at the time, they called them high-grade imbeciles, uh, where the prosecution the, the, um, brought in a gentleman from Old Maine who'd only seen a couple of dozen. So, I mean, and then he did something called the... Um, uh, a Benet test mm -hmm. on Gene. Yeah. I had said John, but I mean his name is spelled G-E-A-N, but and it's pronounced Gene Giannini. But yeah, found not guilty by reason of insanity. We yeah. have just a couple minutes left. Let me ask you the question you said uh, the folks asked a lot at the uh, book signing and, and talks about the um, Adirondack Mysteries uh, books. How do you find the time? I mean, you have a regular job and all this stuff. How do you find the time to do all this? Well, I don't know. I, I guess, you know, um, I don't watch a lot of TV, if I'm being honest, and I, I try to write. I have an ability to write real quick in a short amount of time, I guess. But I do really love it. I guess when you love it and you have a passion for it, you don't, you know, if you do just a little bit every day, like, for instance, the Gene Giannini book, it's about 35,000 words. It took me about a year to write it. But when you break that down, well, how many words a day is that? Five hundred words a day, mm -hmm. you know. So I, I think if you if you do it when you have the opportunity, you sit down. You know, I, I do what's called ribe tukas, which is a Yiddish term that means rub your bottom in the seat of the chair. Okay. Uh, you actually got to sit in a chair and write. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, you you do. Well, my favorite saying was, 
uh, from Dr. Sam Johnson, the 18th century British uh, literary figure. He said, any man can write. I know that's sexist, so I'll put it this way. Any man or woman can write if he or she will put him or herself doggedly to it. That's true. Dennis Webster, uh, his uh, latest book, he's edited Adirondack Mysteries, uh, soon the YouTube channel about ghosts and toast. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.